Loading Brian Sovereign 4.0. Private Agent, Mnemonic Courier. Verifying that all software is DAPS compatible. Programs ready. Loading. Anarchism kernel. Loading. Tech news feeds. Loading. Secret history libraries. Loading. Hedonism theme. Loading. Cryptographic processes. Loading. Science software. Loading. Rationality and self-knowledge systems. Loading. Unimatrix Zero. Loading. Non-killing protocol. Loading. Open source sexuality subroutines. Loading. Triple Black API. Loading. Golden Stallion.RPM. Now ready for Sovereign Jack. Episode 150. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love it. The Golden Stallion, the man of tomorrow, Savzu, here with you. And boy, do we have a doozy of an episode. A lot, a lot of things to cover. Some of it's very good news. Actually, uh, a good chunk of the episode is very good news. And of course, since it's episode 150, as everybody knows, every 25 episodes, I like to shake things up a bit. So we shook things up, maybe removed a little section here, added on to a section there. Uh, you know, you take your pick. And of course, we have some new intros. Can't wait for you to hear those. Ooh, yes, absolutely. So anyway, you know, boy, I have to tell you, it has been a riotous ride uh, the past few weeks. And actually, it's not stopping yet. <laughs> but... Oh, man, my schedule. Uh, if you'll notice, some Sovereign Tech episodes as late had been released on, on kind of odd schedules, all within a, a certain time frame around Saturday. Uh, you know, nothing too late or too early. But that is totally due to my traveling schedule uh, that I will uh, that I am fixing right now <laughs> or, at, you know, after this episode, I will be back to I like to release every episode uh, before 1700 hours, you know, Eastern time on Saturday. And uh, I will, you know, make that. Uh, a reality uh, from here on out. So anyway, 
It's just, it's, it's been crazy, but I had a great time. Uh, the Bitcoin Investor Conference was amazing. Uh, also, Keenvention 2015 was amazing. Uh, I actually, I have, if you go to the Zog blog, or no, actually it's on the Dark Android blog, darkandroid.info, whatever, you go to that website, you know, any of those URLs you punch in really takes you to the same website, just different sections of it. Uh, if you go there... I have videos from, I don't have videos from Keenvention up yet, but I have videos up from, uh, let's see, the lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy's Bitcoin 101 talk, which is getting a lot of, you know, making the rounds. Uh, Paul Rosenberg's talk, which I talked about, uh, that I, I said was probably my favorite talk of the event. Uh, I did, we did that great episode with the, just the, the astonishing MK Lords, uh, and, and Stephanie was on that as well. And we all talked about that and everybody loved Paul Rosenberg's talk. So that's there. And of course my life 4.0 talk is all available. If you go to zog.ninja, you'll, you'll just, you'll find it there and, and you can check it out. Remember daily content on that website from one of the various sections. And you can always see it on the front page of zog.ninja. There's always daily content of some kind. So Anyway, uh, yeah, it's just, it, it's been a lot, it's been a lot of traveling and, you know, to, to keep sovereign tech at the proper level, uh, cause I love doing this show, uh, you know, it's boy, <laughs> it's it, at times it's a challenge, but anyway, last week, so Soviet tech came out. Wow, guys, <laughs> you know, I, maybe I'll talk a little bit about more during, uh, during important messages, but you guys love this show. <laughs> you really, really love that episode and enjoyed the story and the production. I mean, I got some great, great comments uh, from people saying that they haven't heard this kind of audio theater uh, in, in perhaps decades. And I am so honored uh, by that. So if you haven't listened to that yet, boy, do, do give that a shot, but, but keep it in mind. It is largely a work of fiction. It isn't, it is not necessarily, uh, you know, the, the fictional aspects of it. Cause I kind of did a little bit of making special at the end of it. It is not necessarily reflective of my own views. Okay. So, and maybe we can talk about that more during important messages as well. So anyway, let's get into the random access. That's enough of that. It's episode 150. We are on the charge. We are going. Let's do it. Uh, boy, first story here in the random access. Uh, I'm, I'm not shocked by this, and I don't know why it got a ton of press because and it's about the Amazon bookstore that opened in Seattle. The thing that shocks me is that why is everybody making a big deal out of this? Amazon already opened up a store in New York City. How is this anything new? So, again, I think this falls under people are doing native advertising for Amazon. I don't know how much Amazon paid everybody uh, to, you know, all the various news news sources to talk about this. Uh, but they must have because, again, it's not that exciting. Yes. OK, it's ironic that Amazon, which has and this is what everybody's been saying, ooh, you know, uh, well, isn't it so funny that Amazon opened up a bookstore when they're notorious for being the company that shut down all the bookstores? Yeah. OK, fine. That You know, that's that's ironic. But of course, as many people know, it's not about the books. It's about showing off the Kindle Fire. It's about showing off the Kindle e-readers. It's about showing off all the different pieces of hardware, perhaps uh, the Amazon Echo and, you know, and all this. Uh, Alexa, go to SovereignTech.com. Uh, sorry. <laughs> Woo. Uh, but, you know, all these different things. It's not about the books. In fact, in many ways, like th the whole store is just a loss leader. 
Um, but I don't, I don't find it that shocking really. Uh, I mean, it could morph into something else in the future. I mean, a lot of these bookstores could really just be about getting some prime real estate wherever it's needed, uh, you know, for Amazon to do something different in the future. That's just my prediction on that. Now there have been statistics out there and, and these are kind of funny statistics. And, and first off, you know, as a, I guess I'm technically a millennial, um, all this, all this, like constantly, like every fucking article online, it seems like how millennials are millennials, this millennials, that. And it's like, wow, you know, who the fuck cares? It's like, can't we just put like human being or something like that? And it's of course, because it's all just, you know, happen, you know, 90% of the internet's a marketing scheme. And, you know, they're talking about how millennials, they say, well, 80% of millennials read a paper copy of a book last year. And they said, so this is going to be a hit with millennials and all this, you know, this Amazon bookstore. And it's like, wait a minute. No, no, no. Did you read the statistics? They read one book in paper, only one. And that's probably because it's one that just for whatever dumbass copyright reasons, because intellectual property is fucking nonsense. Uh, you know, it couldn't be put into uh, an electronic format. That's it. It's just one book. No, there's no one's making this claim. And please, I love paper books. I'm not knocking paper books. I'm just saying that that the you know, this idea that, oh, this is going to be a big hit with the millennials is a very like that. That's that's I don't know where why why this whole appeasement to millennials. No, I do know why it's to market to the fucks. OK, but, you know, I don't I don't get why people don't realize the the, the bullshit of, of that that term keep coming up i mean honestly whenever except for one story that i've read recently and i'll probably do it for sovereign tech in the future every time i read the word millennial i just want to like toss i i just you know i don't even want to read the story i i really don't um but anyway one of the things that they talked about is that well you know amazon bookstores are gonna you know build up community because people will have a place to go and all of this and yeah i i think that's that's certainly very true and i haven't heard yet really from anybody are the prices of the books the same as they are on Amazon on amazon.com because if they're not i mean what like like that that doesn't make any sense and i wonder yeah i wonder how all that works i'm going to look into this because everyone else is just you know treating this like an advertisement and no one's actually you know kind of asking uh, the bigger questions here um but these are the bookstores that stay open are the ones that actually get authors to show up like in new york city authors will show up and people will go there and get autographs and you know get to talk and listen to the author to you know talk about things and all that so you know you're creating centers of engagement but that doesn't necessarily have to be a bookstore you know it it, it could be anything uh, this is something I think that like I, I've talked about this on Sovereign Tech, actually, and I know I've done a write up for it on, on the Zog blog at various points where uh, some companies were talking about creating. Oh, I think it was ThinkGeek. ThinkGeek was thinking about creating brick and mortar stores. Now, ThinkGeek.com is a great website. Uh, and you know, sells some pretty awesome stuff, you know, and it's all geeky, you know, nerd star Wars, you know, star Trek, all that good stuff. Um, and they were going to create, you know, they were going to like team up with GameStop or whatever. Maybe they bought out GameStop. I, I forget which exactly way that worked out. But my theory was, is that, look, you have an opportunity here. If you're going to create brick and mortar stores to create like little community centers of sorts. And these are going to be a huge hit if you do it. If you bring people together over their passions in real time, in real space. Now, we'll talk about later in this episode about, you know, the beauty of doing a virtual space. But that virtual space has to emulate a real space. So you can do it either way, but it's, it's gotta, it's gotta have that feeling. You gotta be able to like, like really experience another person. It can't just be done on Facebook. 
you know, and even, even Skype is not enough. Okay. People want to interact, not just stare at each other on a screen. And so if you can do that in real space or in virtual space, cool, good for you, go for it. Um, and I think virtual reality will take over a lot of this, you know, community coming together. It won't take over all of it. There's nothing to replace, you know, the, the, the real deal. Believe me, even no matter how advanced technology gets, nothing will replace the uncertainty and the, the unexpectedness and the excitement that comes with real life as compared to virtual life. But anyway, I'm getting way ahead of myself. Uh, either way, the, the Amazon bookstore, it's a loss leader for Amazon. That's all it fucking is. There, there's nothing exciting here. There's no validation for the printed page uh, of any kind going on uh so anyway you know and and speaking of of marketing i'll get this out i'm gonna i have to address this again during important messages but i want to get this out right here right now and i i made sure to tweet this the instant this bullshit started come up coming up because i wanted people to know no 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 no, no. i didn't hear this from everybody else i know i've seen this shit the starbucks red cup yes i'm talking about that on sovereign tech deal with it was there was so much outrage about this. What happened is, is that, okay, so you have this red cup, uh, supposedly before, you know, in years previous at Starbucks, uh, they, they had, you know, various little, um, they had various like, you know, snowflakes and, and little, little Christmas symbols of whatever, uh, you know, varying kinds. And those were all removed this year. And now the cup is just flat red. And so some dumbass on, on Twitter, complained and said oh this is the war on christmas uh you know starbucks is is anti-christian they're, they're snubbing their nose at all of us now and all this stuff and look folks i don't think that's real i think starbucks because how hard is it i think starbucks set up this is cheap heat okay i think starbucks manufactured this entire outreach and they paid news sources you know cnn whoever else uh, this is, again, native advertising because regular advertising isn't really working anymore for so many people. And that's not always true. If you have a small select passion group that, you know, that that works fine. Uh, but on the large scale, I don't think companies are seeing their their ROI with, you know, the largest of investments or, you know, with the with the large advertisement campaigns, advertising campaigns. But anyway, Starbucks Red Cup, uh, you know, I think w- th- this is native advertising. All that happened was is that. You know, they they said, okay, well, you know, how can we how can we get some kind of excitement built around this? Because they were building up for like this big November 10th reveal. Like they they have all these boxes inside of Starbucks stores that have hidden shit in them. It's like, oh, make sure you come on November 10th and all that. So they wanted some kind of a crazy buildup. They wanted some kind of attention. And I think this is all that was is somebody just said, it's like, oh, what if what if we make this claim? Right. Or maybe, I mean, just maybe somebody actually was insulted by all this and was outraged by all this, some Christian or whatever, uh, you know, about it. But then Starbucks saw it and said, oh, this is good. Let's run with this. Let's get somebody call up Fox News and, you know, lay lay down a check for two million dollars and tell them, "Okay, you need to run a story about this. Somebody at Starbucks, you know, had that conversation. It's, it's, that's all the, the outrage is the red cups, not, not the marketing plan. This is, this is what I, I had tweeted out and, you know, put on social media was the red, cl- the red cup is not the marketing plan. The outrage is the marketing plan. That's the advertising campaign is the outrage. 
And I mean, and, and so many people are just like, oh, I can't believe people are so dumb to be outraged over a red cup. It's like, no, they're not dumb. It's just that, you know, Fox News and CNN and whatever other, you know, uh, uh, news source is being bought and paid for by Starbucks to make a big deal out of this shit. There aren't that many. Come on. You know, look, I'm an atheist, OK, and I don't defend religious people by any stretch, but there aren't that many dumb Christians, OK? That would actually get, you know, that would go nuts about this. There really aren't. They're not that stupid. So I, I don't buy it. I, I mean, I really, at least if they're that stupid, I don't think they're on Twitter. I, I just, I, it, none of it makes, makes any sense to me. And this is a real problem. This is something, this is kind of the double-edged sword of social media, is that how easy is it? For, you know, say Starbucks did it from the ground up. How you know, how easy is it for them to just, you know, all they have to do is make a, a couple of, of Twitter accounts, which takes minutes and is totally free. And then they just got to retweet that somewhere or they got to, you know, they have to address, you know, maybe they, they spend a little bit of money by saying to TechCrunch or whoever, hey, 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 look at this tweet. Could you reshare that tweet or could you write a quick story about it? How long does that take? What, an hour? And then suddenly you've got this media shitstorm over this thing. It's not real. And well, I have another story about this to get into uh, d- during important messages. But I mean, it's it's a known. In fact, there's even there's an article on Medium recently that talked about uh, it's it was passed uh, you know after all the, this media shitstorm happened. But but it talked about uh, like the five ways that the news manufactures outrage. And I, I thought it was, you know, right on. It didn't go far enough. I, you know, <laughs> I'll go far enough. I don't think that article went far enough, but it proved the point is that, yes, absolutely, provably, the media will manufacture uh, outrage. So anyway, that that I just I had to talk about that. And it is tech related because I think this is what's happening is, is people are creating, you know, bogus Twitter accounts and they're using it to manufacture uh, either marketing, you know, some kind of advertising you know, through, through outrage or, or whatever else, some kind of bleeding heart nonsense, whatever the case may be. And, and people are thinking that other people are that dumb. No, they're not. <laughs> I, I don't think so. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of dumb people out there, but they're not, they're not like that. I mean, it's just, that's mind boggling. Anyway, uh, let, let's get back into <laughs> to some other stuff. Um, oh boy. Uh, let, let's see. Yeah. Comcast, uh, this is something this has, you know, I'm going to be keeping an eye on this because right now it's just sort of like, it's not guaranteed that this is going to come out. In fact, speaking of outrage, maybe the outrage would calm it down, but considering it's Comcast, uh, now companies can be dumb and Comcast as a company is pretty dumb, <laughs> All right, but, uh, they are putting in supposedly they will be implementing data caps. That means that after, and however much you're already hashing out some ridiculous amount of money for three, you know, uh, for unlimited internet, right? You you'll get what they'll do now is is that you get 300 gigabytes, but then after 300 gigabytes, you know, download, upload, whatever, you you will and you you'll get charged. I think ten dollars for every 50 gigabytes after that. Uh, so there's no more, you know, effectively saying there's no such thing as unlimited internet anymore. So for the past, you know, 20 years. There has been unlimited internet and it hasn't been an issue. And now Comcast is saying, oh, no, there isn't. This is, we're going to do this just like we do, just like Verizon does with their, you know, their plans and, and all these, uh, you know, telecoms do, because obviously it's working so well for them because no one's running away from these companies to say, no, fuck, I need to be with something that offers unlimited. 
uh, which I have said many times is that one of the best ways, you know, to really hurt the telcos is to, you know, go to one, you know, go to something else or at least give them the least amount of money as possible. Go to one of those MVNOs or something like that. Uh, so Comcast doing this now, you know, it remains to be seen if this is actually going to get put in place. But I will say this is that if it does, this is a real issue. And this is a real issue for a lot of the peer to peer technologies that either already exist or are coming. This could be an issue for Bitcoin. This uh, this this could be an issue for MadeSafe, particularly uh, and for some others, because if you have to get charged for, you know, this constant sharing of, you know, large amounts of peer to peer data and everything's going back and forth and the whole world's accessing, you know, what you have. And obviously this is an issue for torrents, too, uh, which, you know, some would say is the the main culprit, you know, when really, you know, torrents have in so many ways, save the world. Uh, but uh, all, you know, all these, these, these peer to peer technologies require the transmission of a shit ton of data, uh, you know, at some point, you know, maybe, maybe after a certain point, it doesn't need as much, but at least, in, you know, in initial stages, which are important for growth, right. Uh, you know, it, it's going to require a ton of data and, and that's going to be a huge issue. Uh, so this does, you know, this might be, I'm not going to get that conspiratorial and say that this is a shot across the bow at peer-to-peer technologies. Okay. But maybe it is, you know, that's the big concern here. Not necessarily, you know, the amount of money to, to get laid down, but like just this, this kind of this idea that, no, we got to get rid of un- unlimited data, uh, or there's going to be a, a you know, <laughs> there's going to be a peer-to-peer revolution on everybody's hands, but I'm not going that far, but, uh, you know, I know some people do think that way. Uh, next story. Let's see Facebook. Oh man. Oh, wow. Speaking of, uh, of native advertising, uh, not that this was advertising for Facebook, but there was a story came out and it said that Facebook responds. I think it was on VentureBeat and Facebook's. It said the Facebook responds as in cooperates with 80 percent of requests from the U.S. government for information, you know, from whatever alphabet soup organization. So if they want information on a certain user. Facebook responds to 80% of these. And now VentureBeat wrote that wrote this up. And and that's you know folks let's get this out of the way. I mean that's that's horrendous. Reason enough alone, you know, to say fuck you Facebook. And you know and and, and leave the whole dive. Okay? But uh you know it was interesting because VentureBeat wrote like oh you know this is this is terrible. And it is. It's it's terrible. But then they said, you know, you go down a few paragraphs in this story and it said especially as compared to the fact that Google, you know, alphabet slash Google, that Google only responds to 63%. Oh, 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 Google. Thank you. You only respond to 63%. You, you let me give you a freedom award. You only respond to 63% of, of queries from the U S government. Boy, you are on my side. Now, fuck that. No, 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 no. And that this is what's so crazy. It's like, holy fuck, like the Google apologists out there. You know, there's so many people, they're so stuck inside Google's ecosystem, or they just so, they're so, uh, you know, enamored by, oh, look at what Google offers me. Oh, capitalism. Oh, please give me that Google. You know, I mean, they're, they're so nuts about it that, you know, well, that they'll say, oh, well, they only respond to 63%, uh, you know, to the U.S. government. Isn't that just wonderful? No, that's fucking terrible. One <laughs> percent <Yeah>. is terrible. <laughs> right? <laughs> I, I could, I just, I couldn't believe reading the story. It's like, really, you're, you're talking about the fact that, that, that 63% is like, that that's okay. Oh, man. 
<laughs> I, I, and it's it's interesting too because Mike, you know, Edward Snowden said he laid out two companies to stay away from. Two companies. He said Facebook and Google. He said watch out for them. Get away from them. Those are the only two he listed. I'm sure he'd recommend some others, but you got to keep that in mind. And well, I think the numbers show why you should stay away from them because they absolutely play ball with the U.S. government and with other governments around the world, I'm sure. Anyway, uh, Asus, another news. Asus is also, they will be a company I really enjoy. In fact, actually, I have their uh, Zenfone 2, and I've used their laptops and video uh, video cards for eons. Um, but the the Asus, uh, yeah, I have a Zenfone 2. It's a great phone. Anyway, but Asus is going to be releasing, supposedly in 2016, their own version of HoloLens. So all of this is heating up, and and we'll talk about more about VR and, and, uh, and AR, augmented reality, or now some people are calling it mixed reality because for some reason they think that the populace is too stupid to handle a, a term like augmented uh, i don't know where the hell that comes from uh, it, it really it must only come from the and kids aren't stupid but it must come from the fact that they feel like they just they have to market to children now they have to get children used to this stuff now because right now they're losing a shit ton of money because people aren't buying in i don't know but anyway uh yeah so a, a new version you know another version of hololens a hololens competitor i think that's great rock and roll uh you know and, and go asus they make phenomenal Phenomenal hardware. In fact, dark and the darker Android recommended tablet to this day, years later, is still the 2013 Nexus 7, uh, you know, from Google. But actually, it was built by Asus. Uh, that is an Asus product. You know, it's funny. People, when they see my Zenfone 2 and they see it's made by Asus, they're like, I didn't even know they made mobile products. And it's like, yeah, they made the greatest one of all time, the Nexus 7. Both, both generations. Uh, but anyway. Uh, let's see what else we got. Oh, te- Tesla. I'm, I'm going to save the Tesla story for important messages because I got I got a doozy of a story I want to get into. Uh, some interesting, you know, while we're on the subject of mobile, though, uh, you know, while I mentioned it, uh, Firefox, the web browser is now available for iOS. Uh, it's been available for Android for years. It is the bare minimum of what I recommend for web browsing on on Android because it uses independent security certificates. That is huge. That means that anything, and they also, they've been very much on top of, of fixing things like stage fright and some others. Okay. Uh, you know, it's really huge that it, it operates independently from Android. That means it's, some, it's kind of a sandbox idea. If something goes wrong on Android, it will not necessarily affect Firefox and vice versa. That's a great thing. Now, that advantage, I'll admit, does not really exist for iOS because iOS doesn't really allow for a completely independent security certificates like Android does. Um, and of course I imagine Android at some point, you know, may, may change their mind on that. Um, but cause Firefox for iOS is using a lot of the WebKit dependencies that Safari uses. So really you're, you're kind of just getting a skinned Safari, which that sort of existed with Firefox, uh, any already anyway. Uh, and this was released in, I think Australia a few months ago. This, this isn't necessarily something new in it, but it's been fairly popular there. Uh, I think the only advantage I would recommend running it on, on iOS, of course. Um, I think one of the advantages is that I think it does have add on support. So that's cool. It, it's still the only web browser, I think, that that really has that. Uh, so it would have that on iOS. And then, of course, just the fact that your bookmarks would sync across devices and all that if you use iOS devices. Um, you know, if, if you're using Firefox on the desktop or, you know, you know something close. Uh, Firefox comes 
comes with its own concerns like any piece of software. But uh, I thought that was kind of cool that they did come out with an iOS version. If, uh, you know, if I had an iOS device, like, you know, one of those little new iPod touches, I mean, with 128 gig, I talked about that dark iOS. It's actually a pretty secure device. Um, you know, I, I would definitely use Firefox if I was on there. Uh, and also Signal finally came out. We've we've talked about this for a long time on Sovereign Tech. We said that it was going to be coming where Tech Secure and Red Phone from Open Whisper Systems would come together into one suite, into, you know, into one app, because that's how it is on iOS, which is one of the advantages I felt to iOS was that you had the signal suite on there. Now that is available for Android. Uh, and again, it is tech secure and it is, um, you know, we've we've already talked about this countless times over the years. Uh, you know, it is just text here and red phone kind of wrapped together, but it, it does work very nicely, uh, you, you know, together. And I, I I love, you know, Moxie, Moxie Marlin Spike's amazing. So uh, one last bit of, bit of story here is that there were some claims, and I did a write-up about this on, uh, on the Dark Android blog, uh, because there were claims about, uh, about Google OS. Now, what this is, is that I think it was either it was Recode or the Wash, or maybe it was, um, no, it was the Wall Street Journal, I think, that announced it. They said that Google is, or, you know, Alphabet slash Google, it's important to keep those two companies or, you know, that one company in mind, uh, you know, they were going to be dropping Chrome OS and it was going to merge with Android. Now, people have been theorizing this for a long time, ever since Sundar Pichai, uh, who's now the CEO of Google in general, but ever since he took over as head of departments of Android and Chrome OS. Everybody's like, okay, these two OSs are going to merge. And certainly when people saw the Pixel C, which we talked about as an absolute copycat product, and there's nothing innovative about it whatsoever because there's nothing that Alphabet slash Google does that actually is innovative. Um, you know, that when the Pixel C came out, it was shocking that it ran Android, not Chrome OS, because every Pixel previous ran uh, you know, Chrome OS. And in fact, it even it was called the Pixel C. You know, you'd think C for Chrome, right? Um, and, and, you know, and instead it's running Android. So then Recode did a response to this, that they weren't actually going to be merging. Chrome OS was still going to be a thing, but that Android itself was actually going to be getting a desktop kind of look to it, or it's going to have that ability to have, a, you know, a desktop look. And this reminds me very much of, you know, something that people laughed at Microsoft about for. And believe me, I haven't, we're going to talk about Microsoft in just a second because, uh, oh man, did they fuck up? Okay. But, you know, people were talking about like with Continuum, how, oh, Windows 10 works, works, uh, you know, whatever device it's on, it will operate whatever is optimized best for that device. OK, like if it's on a refrigerator, it's going to go to a UI that works best on a refrigerator. If uh, like with the, the the Lumia, the new Lumia phones, when it's on a smartphone, it works, you know, with a smartphone interface. But once you plug that that smartphone into a, a gigantic monitor and you hook up a keyboard and a mouse, suddenly it looks like a desktop. And so this is kind of the idea. I'm guessing that Android or, you know, that Google's going for with Android is that they're going to make it so that whatever hardware it happens to be on, it's going to, you know, be a chameleon on that hardware. It's going to, you know, create a desktop environment or it's going to create a more mobile environment wherever it happens to connect. And that's probably what all this is about now. But the more interesting thing with this was that, and this is what I theorized on my write-up at the Dark Android blog, uh, it was a story about, I think it was dark and it's just a couple days ago. Uh, it was the, the dark Android laptop may become a reality because that's what they're saying is they're going to start creating Android laptops. That's going to be a reality. Okay. And not that they haven't already existed. We already talked about the HP Slatebook 14 in, uh, you know, many, many episodes ago. Okay. But 
this is going to be particularly for that. But what may happen is, is that Google, you know, may still kind of combine Android and Chrome OS, create an entire, a wholly new operating system out of this. And that will be like the next version of Android, but it may be like they might give it a whole completely different name. Now you're going to say, well, there's billions of Android devices out there. If Google does that, you know, it's a recipe for disaster. If suddenly they, you know, they moved away from Android entirely. Not really. And I'll say why, because it, the, 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 honestly, the operating system doesn't matter. Yes. You have to have uh, compatibility with an operating system, but the operating system doesn't really matter. What really matters is the app store. And that's what Google has total control over is the app store. Okay. So wherever they take that app store, if it's on a, you know, the next generation of Android and I don't mean Android 6.0, I mean something totally fucking new. Like the, like some people internally, internal documents at, at Google call it Google OS. It doesn't call it Android. That's why some people are worried. Okay. Uh, you know, th- this, As long as they can transfer all the apps to that, you know, all they need is an emulation layer, more or less. Uh, You know, Google has control of the apps. That's what matters. The operating system does not. It just matters what the Play Store can work with. Uh, That's why so many, you know, so many companies have their have their phones, whether you buy them unlocked or whatever, that automatically have Google Plus on them and all these different Google apps because Google makes the requirement. No, if you want to ship with the Play Store on your device. And if you don't, it's not going to be a success, right? If you want to ship with that on there, you're going to have to preload all of our software. And so that's that's the thing. It doesn't the the underlying operating system in many ways just doesn't matter anymore. What matters is the app store. Now things have to work with that app store. The operating system has to work with that. Yes. Okay, but there there it is. And Google ultimately has control of that. So they can create whatever fucking OS they want, frankly. <laughs> That's just, that's, that's how it is. So anyway, let's, uh, let's get into, boy, I've got a hell of a main story. And I honestly, I flipped out when I saw this and and I I don't get violent when I flipped out. I I just, you know, I have like a vein that pops, uh, you know, on, on, on my, on my forehead. And I, I start, uh, I start getting very loud. (laughs) Perhaps, perhaps you've experienced that. Uh, But I don't, you know, no way do I ever get physical, but boy, I was flipping. I, I, I was livid. Uh, that this happened. So let's talk about it. And what this is being called, and I think it's a kind of a fitting name, is OneDrive Gate. And obviously we're talking about OneDrive, Microsoft's OneDrive. Now, I, yeah, I did a write-up about this too. <laughs> at zog.ninja, you can find it. Uh, just look up OneDrive Gate in the little search bar at the top. And, you know, I am... I'll admit in the past year, like my sovereign tech person of the year for 2014 was Satya Nadella, CEO of Microsoft, because I thought that he turned this whole company around. You know, I was like, wow, this is the things that are happening in Microsoft are mind boggling. If only they'd open source and they were open sourcing a lot. I said, if only they would open source, you know, Windows, you know, we'd, it'd be a totally new company, a totally new world and a whole new options would open up. It'd be incredible. And it might even have the opportunity to, to overtake Android because Android is, you know, I, I, by most metrics, I guess the most popular operating system in the world and Windows could take over again if they just opened everything up. And one of the reasons that I gave Satya Nadella person of the year was the fact that he announced, you know, Microsoft announced that OneDrive was now offering office, all office 365 subscribers. Okay. So you're paying, you're laying down money at least $7 a month or $10 a month, whatever. 
they were offering them unlimited cloud storage. Unlimited. That's what they were. That's what they were offering to you. Okay. And in so doing, I said, wow, you just changed everything. When have consumers ever been offered unlimited storage of anything? I said, this is going to change the world. This is huge. You know, this is kind of the, the centralized version of what a lot of people hope eventually peer-to-peer technologies will do, which is allow for unlimited storage, you know, due to the, the large amount, you know, the large or, you know, the increasing use of, uh, you know, of computers and, and mobile devices and all that, that everything could just kind of be shared and you could effectively have, you know, unlimited storage of data, you know, into infinity <laughs> more, more or less. Now, granted, nothing is exactly unlimited, uh, but it'd be close enough to where it would really feel, you know, like unlimited. So anyway, Microsoft offers this with, with OneDrive. And this is a really big deal because the idea, and in fact, there was a, at the, it, and it was still a great event. I have, I feel, you know, really, really, fucking pissed off like and i and i totally regret giving Satya Nadella person of the year i really do you know he, he can keep it i should have given it to snowden <laughs> but uh but whatever okay um i i really feel bad that i said anything nice about the guy because i think this is so th- this is so underhanded um what what happened in the past week uh because they took it away they took away unlimited storage on OneDrive. Now I'm going to read a story about it in a minute, but I want you to understand that like even at a recent at the recent event at the windows 10 devices event, which from a stylistic standpoint was really well done. It was really engaging and exciting, you know, to watch. And some of the stuff that they revealed were in some ways game changers. Okay. And, and it's because it's depressing when you watch so many, you know, uh, t- tech, uh, tech events as I do, uh, so many of them just are, they're so shitty. Like they're so pre-planned. Everybody's talking in a very unnatural way and, and it just sucks. And so when Microsoft pulled off one that all felt very, you know, very authentic and very natural, that was exciting. Now, during that Satya Nadella made a quote, he, he, he made a statement and I quote as devices, this is what he said, as devices come and go. You persist. That it wasn't necessarily a mission statement for Microsoft, but that was the idea. And that is only possible. The idea is, is that you put everything into the cloud and it doesn't matter if you buy a new computer, a new phone, uh, if you're using one at the library or whatever the case may be. Bottom line is, is that you will be, you know, your, all of your data, everything, all the, you know, all your productivity, what you're working on and all that, all of that will follow you no matter what you do. Okay. Now there's, yes, I understand some privacy concerns in that, but the idea itself is interesting. And honestly, you know, with like a made safe style implementation and everything being encrypted and whatever else, I think it's not a bad, it's a, it's a great idea in a lot of ways. I, I would, I would go for that, um, you know, in a more peer to peer sense. But anyway, this is the underpinning of Microsoft's, you know, strategy. At least that's how I saw it. And I said, you know what, this could work. And also Microsoft is a big enough company And they run, you know, as to where Amazon, you know, operates maybe 80% of the internet with its servers. Effectively, Microsoft runs the other 10 to 20 with Microsoft Azure. Okay. So I said, okay, no, they actually, they could do this. They have the money. They have the clout. You know, they still have, albeit, you know, crazy. They still have the brand recognition. Uh, And, and they have the technology. They have Azure. 
You know, they have all these things that, that could actually, yeah, you know, I think they could offer unlimited storage and I think they could actually make this whole thing, this whole game work that they're talking about. So I believed it. I fell for it. I was like, yeah, okay, I'll start uploading a ton of shit to, you know, to OneDrive. And I believe me, I have like nine terabytes up there. I mean, I've got, I, I might even be more. I have a lot of terabytes up on OneDrive. And a couple weeks ago, it, it just changed. They, they just, in the middle of the night, it was very weird the way they did that. In the middle of the night, suddenly Microsoft says, uh, yeah, you know, we're not doing this anymore. We're not going to, uh, you know, offer unlimited storage. And in fact, we are, you know, dumbing down all Office 365 subscribers to one terabyte of storage for your OneDrive account. And if you're using a free account, and this is where things get got kind of strange. If you're using a free OneDrive account, we know we gave you 15 gigabytes. Now we're giving you five. Now that like that, that's just way too far. Like, really, what's what's the difference here? I, I don't I don't understand. Like the, the amount of people that were probably using a free OneDrive account, like like the, there was no need to really hit them with that, you know, with with the 15, because five gigs, five gigs and 15 gigs is I mean, that's meaningless. You know, and Google offers 15 gigs for everybody and they don't even have the infrastructure. As far as I understand it, they don't even have the infrastructure that, that Microsoft has. So that 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 didn't make any sense that they were offering that up. Uh, I mean, they they backpedaled. I mean, so far beyond pretty much every other cloud storage company now. Because of this, you know, you know, running away from it. And. Yeah, let me let me read the story here. And, and this is this is a great write up. And it's actually by uh, the the amazing. I love this guy, John C. Dvorak, uh, who I've been reading for a huge chunk of my life, everything that he writes. So anyway, let's let's read it here. And it's Microsoft's OneDrive bait and switch. The big scandal this week, of course, is referencing last week, the sudden turnabout regarding Microsoft's quote-unquote unlimited OneDrive cloud storage for users of Office 365. The company offered a number of other very generous free cloud storage offers, but now it's not going to deliver on any of it starting next year in 2016. The tech community is up in arms because Microsoft suddenly discovered that people actually use the cloud the way Microsoft wanted. After all, in some instances, the Microsoft OneDrive logo had the tag one place for everything in your life. Apparently not. Now, I'm going to stop right there for a second in the story. This is the key thing is that Microsoft specifically said that there were a small amount of people that were abusing OneDrive. And here, you know, here Dvorak is put, putting this up and I put it in my own write up on, on the matter too a couple weeks ago or, you know, a week ago. And that is that you can't, you can't abuse something that you told people was unlimited. If it's unlimited, it's impossible to abuse it. You cannot abuse that. That's not abuse by definition. And that's the exact word that Microsoft used. And they said there were some people that were like, uh, you know, backing up multiple computers and like, you know, using 70 terabytes and all that Microsoft, you said it was unlimited. What the hell did you expect? I mean, God, give me a few more months. I would have had 70 terabytes. Easy. It's not abuse. This is, I mean, that is just ugly fucking language for, for Microsoft to lay out. Let's read on with the story. 
You can read all the kvetching everywhere on the net. The basic complaints are, one, Microsoft promised more than it could deliver. Two, Microsoft cries foul as people abuse unlimited storage. We just talked about that. It cannot be abuse. Uh, number three, Microsoft is mean for killing many of its cloud storage tiers. And four, uh, Microsoft is, quote unquote, rethinking its cloud strategy. Everything I've read seems to ignore the obvious. This is a basic, unethical bait-and-switch marketing ploy by Microsoft. The last time I looked, it was a legal fraud in almost every state and begs for massive prosecution as well as individual reparation. From my perspective, Microsoft has put itself in legal jeopardy. And, Stallion breaking in, that may be true. I don't, look, I don't want to take anybody to court for shit, okay, but... You might see class action lawsuits about this, and maybe I'll get into a little bit more of, uh, you know, when this something like this has happened in the past. Uh, there is no doubt in my mind that Microsoft reading on did not or in my mind that Microsoft did the bait and switch as a strategy. That's because, as I've said before, unlimited storage never added up. I have often complained about the math regarding unlimited storage and Microsoft's potential customer base. There are not enough servers in the world for Microsoft to do what it promised. That's the bait part. Get otherwise adverse people to try its cloud offerings. This was to show people how easy it is to use the OneDrive mechanism, for it is indeed easy to use and seamless. I personally like it. Once the user is hooked, all the promises are pulled. Then reality, also known as pricing, sets in. Microsoft believes that the end-user license agreement, the EULA, you agreed to covers the sudden switch. After the, you know, the quote unquote switch of the bait and switch after the suckers have bought into the product and the promises, especially the quote unquote unlimited storage promise, they pull the rug out. To be fair, Microsoft will offer a refund of sorts to complainers, but the idea of bait and switch is still in uh, still in play despite any return money. And I mentioned this in my own article, Stanley breaking in that, uh, you know, if they didn't offer the refund. We'd really be looking like there would be I, I think there would have been some very serious grounds, for, you know, for some kind of legal, uh, you know, class action of some kind. Uh, it really would have been a, a very ugly situation. So not a shock that they offered that. Let's read down the story. Microsoft figures there will be no successful bait and switch prosecution and the whole thing will eventually blow over, which it always does with today's beleaguered consumer. Few users or pundits, if any, have even noticed the bait and switch aspect of this, which is pathetic in itself. Now, Stanley, breaking in one more time, I just want to say that I wrote this article a few days before Dvorak or, you know, I wrote my article before Dvorak did, and I specifically said that this was bait and switch. So <laughs> I'm honored to be one of the few that actually recognized it for what it is. Um, let's see, uh, re reading on here, a number of state attorneys will be looking at this with it in mind. Uh, they can ding the company for many millions. It's not clear. Uh, it's not clear how jurisdictions internationally will handle this, but you can be sure if this was offered to EU customers, Microsoft will be hung out to dry. Here's what I am hoping for, though. It's a long shot. I hope that somehow Microsoft hangs a defense on the EULA, a bunch of legalese, which always tells the buyer that any promises or offerings can be changed at the discretion of the company. In other words, there is no real agreement and the company can do whatever it wants. Too bad if the buyer does not like it. I call it the switcheroo clause. I am not sure which company first came up with the switcheroo clause, but it is sheer genius. Everyone uses it, and the courts have upheld it. If the EULA can be used for what appears to be a bait-and-switch marketing scheme, then it can be used for a Ponzi scheme or out-and-out -out fraud, too. I've been wondering for years why car companies do not have buyers sign a EULA to absolve themselves of problems stemming from a product from product defects. Seymour Rubenstein, the man who first implemented software licensing with personal computer products, once told me that he actually expected to see the idea employed to all purchases of everything. Why not if the courts uphold the idea? 
Therein lies the rub, the courts. If one jurisdiction gets a clue and banishes these onerous licenses once and for all, justice will finally be served. Bogus offerings will end. False promises, which are really bait-and-switch scams, will, uh, will be prosecuted as such. The unlimited storage promise never sounded right. To see Microsoft unapologetically pull its offer in such a cavalier and patronizing manner while blaming the users who quote-unquote abused the offer by actually using what they were promised is not acceptable. It all stems from the corruption in the industry provided by today's evolved EULA. It needs to go. Now, that's an interesting little aspect to this, okay, <laughs> is, is this idea of the EULA. That, you know, any of these giant tech companies, any company can just pull out the rug from underneath you. I mean, it's, it's, it's caveat emptor, right? But buyer beware. Now, I agree, buyer beware. Okay, but part of the, <laughs> you know, I, I don't, and I don't want the courts, you know, to start like smashing this stuff down or all that. But I think it's important to be aware that these companies are telling you outright when you, when you buy into these things that they are going to rip it out from under you. I didn't exactly, you know, contemplate this. I was aware of it with the EULA, but I never really put two and two together. So I thought it was interesting, uh, you know, to to read up about that. But here's the more damning issue of all this. And that is, is that, you know, you, you get a lot of people and I, I'm kind of one of those and I'm becoming one again. Where the promise of the cloud, you know, you have so many people say, oh, just put it in the cloud. It'll be fine. You won't lose it. Put it in the cloud. You'll be fine. You know, don't worry. Just use the cloud. It's fine. Go for it. Now, come on. These companies are huge that you can trust them. Even uh, Steve Gibson has said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Go ahead. Put your stuff up in the cloud and let the big companies worry about it because they, they can handle it. No, <laughs> no. You know what? Now. And I bought into it for, you know, for a moment. But now, no, the big companies can't handle it. They can't handle cloud storage themselves. Even a company like Microsoft, which is worth billions. And people make fun of other people saying, no, 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 just stick with local storage. Believe me, they're going to rip the shit out from under you. You want to stick with, with, you know, with, with local storage. And those people get insulted, picked on, made fun of, called conspiracy nuts or whatever the fuck else. No, look, they're fucking, they ended up being right again. I'm going to, I have a year to pull down nine terabytes from OneDrive. I'm going to have to become new best friends with Newegg and use some Bitcoin. And I'm going to have to buy a bunch of fucking hard drives that honestly I can't afford right now. <laughs> I mean, what the fuck? This is not okay. You know, I mean, on, on a technological aspect, yes, caveat emptor. Okay, fine. Okay, but on, on a technological aspect, I mean, all these people say, oh, yeah, no, no, the cloud is going to do it. We can, we can just put it all on servers and all this. No, no, you fucking can't. That's not true. That's not real. People are going to have to be responsible for, for their own fucking data. Now, Amazon, interestingly, is still claiming that they can offer you unlimited, uh, uh, you know, cloud drive. They have Amazon cloud drive and they are offering, I think it's $60 a year, which is significantly cheaper uh, than what Microsoft was offering it for. And, you know, that's something else too. Microsoft, like they won't even give you, like there's so many tiers of OneDrive that they won't even offer you anymore. Like if you wanted to buy 10 terabytes, they say, no, fuck you. You can't have it. I mean, they backpedaled a ton. Now, Amazon's still saying they can offer it. And then, I mean, I want to say, you know, I'm not going to fall for it. I'm not going to say, oh, yeah, no, they can do that. I mean, hell, they're powering, you know, three quarters of the Internet. Uh, why couldn't they, you know, store all of everybody's data? No, 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 no. I'm not going to believe that shit ever again. Neither should you. 
These companies are are nuts. They and and it's almost comforting the fact that they can't deliver on all the crap that they say because some of the stuff that Google talks about wanting to do, I hope they can never fucking deliver on. This is really damning of the idea of the cloud. This is, I mean, in fact, it's almost a good thing that it happened because it gives you a preview. I mean, yeah, I think peer-to-peer clouds could happen. You know, like like that sort of idea could could kind of work out. But this is giving you a preview of what happens when one company is control is in control of the servers, like Microsoft is. They will pull everything out away from you. Do not rely on these companies for anything. Absolutely not. And you know, I'm reminded uh, this this was something. In fact, I, I did it in my write-up. You can check out the write-up uh, at ZOG.Ninja because, you know, I talked about how, like, with the PlayStation 3, how Sony, they had the other other OS ability built into it that allowed you to put Linux on your PlayStation 3. This was something that they sold the product as, and once they found out that people were using the other OS option to play burn games, they ripped out the entire ability. But they sold it to you that way. And there was a huge class-action lawsuit around that, so I think Microsoft's going to run into some heat but Sony got through that fine, so Microsoft will probably get through it fine. Unbelievable. Whatever. Look, don't trust the fucking cloud. Not the way it's built now. We get a peer-to-peer cloud, maybe that'll be a different story. I'll be back with more. Hey, I want to tell you about something. It's a website called libertymemes.com. It's a site that was established recently by voluntarists for voluntarists. And also for the purpose of helping spread the message of liberty. What's more important than that? Many of the memes at LibertyMemes.com are not only extremely entertaining, but also quite informative and convincing in the cause of promoting liberty and libertarian ideas. I need you to go to LibertyMemes.com, that's LibertyMemes.com, and find a few memes that speak to a part of the message of liberty that you associate with, and share those memes using the easy share bar located at the bottom of the screen. And LibertyMemes.com is a mobile-ready website. That means regardless of what chrome robot turd of a device you're slinging around, you can access it. Of course, I suppose you don't have to visit LibertyMemes.com and share their memes. You don't have to support their sponsors. Because at the end of the day, eh, maybe Liberty isn't really that important to you. But then, why are you listening to this show? LibertyMemes.com, adding new memes every day and rapidly approaching their 1,000th meme Visit them today at libertymemes.com. Welcome, Agent Sovereign. Please put on your headset to enter virtual reality. I'm ready. Hit me. Now entering Unimatrix Zero. Ah, I love this place. Secret community away from the... Hey, Agent Sovereign. Hello, who are you? I'm Pixel. I like this place you've built in VR. Encrypted, secure, and very private. No one from the corporate system to see us or tell us what to do. And if you're here, you must be friends with... (laughs) Oh yes, I've met the other girls, Brian. But I'm here now because we have another mission. We need to hack into the new system. They're about to... Tell me on the way. Let's get out of Unimatrix Zero. And don't worry. A quick hack solves everything. Hack, <laughs> Oh, yes. Now, 
if you if you know tell you what free copy of uh free copy of ninja trek if you know exactly who that was <laughs> you just you see, shoot me shoot me an email go to zog.ninja uh there's the the contact us tab and you know there, there's plenty of ways to get in touch with me however you want to get in touch with me and you let me know who you think that was and uh and, and if you guess right uh i'll eeny meeny miny mo the people that guess right and i'll give out some copies of ninja trek how about that so anyway <laughs> I, I i love it i uh, can't wait to hear the rest so this is actually now we, we talked about some rather ugly news, but uh, now I actually have some good news. I'm really excited about this, and I'm excited where it's getting talked about. Uh, and it's it's by actually a really good guy that that does some uh, you know does some excellent uh, journalism, especially in our well you know really in, <laughs> in our interconnected world that that security and privacy have not caught up. Uh, you know, with, or hasn't been built in anyway, it's not a matter of not catching up, but that hasn't been built into the te- technologies that we're using. And so this is from Andy Greenberg at wired, uh, just a, a solid guy. And it's zero coin startup revives the dream of truly anonymous money. I've talked, I've been talking about ever since I think it was, uh, yeah, it might've been the very first Bitcoin special that I did. That was like sovereign tech special zero, zero, zero two. So this is three years ago. And I was talking about, I said, now zero coin is what's going to happen. And I heard other commentators way back then. They said the only thing that would supplant Bitcoin is, is a, is something that's more anonymous. Now zero coin at the time was uh, going to be like a, a meta layer. Or it was going to be code that you could add into Bitcoin. And I've mentioned this at events, at conferences that I've spoken at all over the place. I keep talking about zero coin, or I had heard recently that it was renamed zero cash. We'll read into the story and find out more about this. Okay. But the problem is, is that as I understand it, the team for ZeroCoin, which is um, uh, the guys at John Hopkins University, uh, Matthew Green and all them, they, you know, they, they offered to work with Bitcoin, but the Bitcoin development team said, no, no, we're, we're, we're not, we're not going to put this in. And that's concerning in and of itself. Now, again, I love Bitcoin. Don't confuse me. Okay. But that's concerning in and of itself that, wait a minute. So we had the opportunity to make Bitcoin more anonymous and the development team of Bitcoin said, no, we don't want that. What about the people? I'm pretty sure, especially three years ago, uh, the people that were into Bitcoin would have wanted more anonymity in Bitcoin. What the fuck? Uh, so anyway, let, let, let's start reading about this, but zero coin is this idea of, you know, creating something that, and, and it, it branched off into its own project. It was going to be its own coin. And I think at one point they started calling it zero cash, which is cool because cash is definitely synonymous with anonymity in our modern world. Uh, and so I, either way, l- let's read the story here. Bitcoin, despite its reputation as anonymous internet cash was never designed for perfectly private payments. Right on. For the promise of fully untraceable money, cryptocurrency fans have been waiting for ZeroCoin, myself included, standing here, reading on, a technology designed to have default, uncrackable anonymity. After years of development, that incognito crypto cash is finally showing, oh, I like that word crypto cash, how about you? Because <laughs> like I said, the word cash, you know, really does connotate, uh, you, you know, anonymity. In fact, it even kind of connotates some black marketeering, which I, I rather like that. I, I, I fancy myself a black marketeer, you know, maybe, maybe that's a term that, that, that needs to take over from free marketeer. <laughs> Cause you know, I mean, honestly, what doesn't the government have their fingers in, right? 
Like, is there even really any private business that's, you know, signed up somewhere, you know, that 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 fills out some kind of, uh, you know, DBA or whatever uh, with with governments around the world? I mean, it's almost like the government, you know, it's like almost every company is public unless it's one that's totally underground. Uh, and, you know, so black markets, in my opinion, woohoo, I like kind of the edginess of it, too. So, uh, yeah, so use the word. Let's let's the next, you know, stop with all the the <laughs> I've said this before on Sovereign Tech. Stop with all the oh, well, let's make this, um, uh, you know, Volto coin or whatever the fuck, you know, they want to use. Let, let's just go with like maybe let's start using the word cash at the end of it, you know, as the, as the suffix. Right. Uh, okay, reading on the that incognito crypto cash is finally showing signs of life now in the form of a stealthy startup. Late last week, a company calling itself the Zero Coin Electric Coin Company published a post on AngelList, a website startups use to raise funds from private investors. Zero Coin's new CEO and co-founder, cryptographer Zuko Wilcox O'Hearn, confirms in an email to Wired that the company will put into practice a version of the Zero Coin design, later known as Zero Cash, as I mentioned, created in 2013 and 2014 by a team of encryption researchers at John Hopkins, MIT, Technion, and Tel Aviv University. Their goal? To build a Bitcoin-like currency with the greatest privacy and anonymity protections that modern mathematics can offer. Quote, Bitcoin is HTTP for money. We are HTTPS. End quote. Read Zero Coins Angelist description. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I love that. <laughs> that. That is a tagline. <laughs> nice, nice work on that one. Uh, you know, I mean, something else I've, I've mentioned pretty much every time I've been asked to be on a, like, declare your independence uh, with Ernest Hancock. And every time he's asked me about, like, you know, what do we do if Bitcoin gets taken over by the man and all this stuff? I said, well, look, there's other things out there that we could use. There's zero cash or, you know, or zero coin, whatever term they want to use for it. And here it is, <laughs> you know. So I've, I've been touting this for quite some time and I'm not about to stop now. And I'm excited that it's, it's real. It seems to be really fucking happening finally. And I'm also excited about the fact, as this article says, that it is going to work on its own. This is not to be some side chain. This is not to be built onto Bitcoin. This is not to be built on the nonsense that is Ethereum. Okay, this is on its own. Awesome. Let's do this. All right, reading on. In fact, ZeroCoin's privacy advantages over Bitcoin could be even more substantial than that HTTPS comparison implies. Bitcoin transactions are published on the blockchain, the public record of all Bitcoin payments that serves as the backbone of the Bitcoin economy. Any slip up that identifies a user's Bitcoin address also makes it possible for anyone to trace all of his or her payments from and to those addresses. ZeroCoin's blockchain, on the other hand, uses a cryptographic trick known as, quote, zero knowledge proof to guarantee that transactions in the zero coin economy aren't fraudulent or forged. But that zero knowledge feature means that in contrast to Bitcoin, ZeroCoin's blockchain doesn't reveal anything about the payment's origin, destination, or even the transaction amount. Uh, and there's a link to where you can read about uh, ZeroCoin, their, their full paper there. Uh, in other words, reading on, ZeroCoin will let users spend internet cash with theoretically perfect anonymity. But ZeroCoin's new AngelList page also notes that if necessary, the same zero-knowledge proof trick can also allow a ZeroCoin user to forego that privacy and choose to reveal proof that any individual transaction was his or hers, say, as a receipt for some ZeroCoin purchase. Uh, 
we are at quote, we are adding selective disclosure to Bitcoin and blockchain technologies End quote, the Angelus page reads quote, transaction metadata in the blockchain is confidential by default, but can be disclosed to specific parties. This allows the best of both worlds, both strong privacy and transparency on the blockchain End quote. Now I want to stop right there because you got it right. <laughs> okay. This team got it right. What would you need to, what, what would you need to prove on a blockchain that we allowed for our technology to actually allow you to have uh, what did they call it? Selective disclosure of certain data, a bill of sale. They specifically said a receipt, not a title, not a license, not an ID, none of that bullshit, a receipt, a bill of sale, which I said is all you need in a market infrastructure. You don't need all this other crap. And when you're coding things, and, I'm, and these guys are obviously some pretty goddamn smart coders. When you're coding things, you get rid of the non-essentials. And titles are non-essentials. Say you bought a car with zero coin. You don't need a title for that. You know, fuck, in Maine, and this is true in many other states, in the state of Maine, if a car is older than like uh, maybe 14 years or something like that, you don't need a title for it. doesn't matter if you bought it, you know, exactly 14 years ago or whatever, because in other states, like in New York, I think, and I've talked about this on Sovereign Tech before, but in like in New York, if your car is older than 1972, you don't need a title for the car. You don't need a VIN number. You don't need anything. You just, I, I mean, I don't need, you know, you need the receipt to like, you know, know how for much to tax you, but the point is, you don't really, in the end, you don't even need that. But Point being is that there's no need for a title and for some, and amazingly, there's not this like rampant theft going on, uh, you know, of, of cars and of them getting registered in other states and all this bullshit. I mean, none of that stuff's happening. All you need is a receipt. That's all a market infrastructure requires. And if you're building it onto code, well, to make sure that that code is secure and thus private, etc., you don't add in shit that's not necessary. This is the problem with Ethereum. You don't build a system that you can just, you know, buttload everything fucking on because a lot of that stuff is going to create issues okay you want to you want to keep it keep it clean keep it simple stupid right and zero coins got that right on they said yes the purpose for selective disclosure is a receipt absolutely that's how you do it now let's read on just how ZeroCoin will make money as a startup, however, is far from clear. For now, Wilcox O'Hearn declined to answer any of Wired questions about how the company will function, when it will officially launch, or how it plans to put its new cryptocurrency into circulation. Like any Bitcoin alternative, ZeroCoin will no doubt face stiff competition from Bitcoin itself, which already has buy-in from millions of users and an exchange rate that's appreciated sharply in just the last week. Even so, a roster of influential angel investors have already invested $715,000 in zero coin according to wilcox o'hearn two early backers listed on the angelist posting are uh, naval ravikant an investor in twitter and uber and barry silbert the founder of startup equity trading platform second market ah, a little worried about barry silbert there but uh let's let's read on another is roger ver Woo! there we go a staunchly libertarian Bitcoin mogul who's made investments in startups like blockchain.info and BitPay and who used his substantial crypto fortune to bankroll much of the criminal defense of now convicted Silk Road creator Ross Albrecht. There's a there's a bad name there, but then there's a great name there, folks. Reading on. ZeroCoin also cites an impressive collection of advisors on its AngelList page. In addition to the academic team that designed ZeroCoin and ZeroCash, those advisors also include Vitalik Buterin, 
strange. The founder of buzzy cryptocurrency startup Ethereum and Gavin Andreessen, one of the first Bitcoin coders and the chief scientist of uh, the Bitcoin Foundation. The company's CEO, Zuko Wilcox-O'Hearn, has crypto cred of his own. He's the creator of the Tahoe Least Authority File Store, or Tahoe LAFS, a decentralized encrypted file storage system. Okay, so... Yeah, I mean, they're probably just trying to like reach out for names and, and kind of slap them on. But I don't buy like that having Vitalik and Gavin Andreessen on there. So th this is where things get weird, right? Because and, and granted, this is all going to be open source. So, you know, that means that anybody could kind of, you know, take this and, and run with it themselves just in case those names get a little funny. Um, I would I would imagine those names are just being generous. I can't picture they'd have a whole lot to say because, again, I still find it very strange that that Bitcoin and Andreessen would have been the head of the development team did not decide to work with Zerocoin. Or maybe both of these teams are behind Zerocoin because they're wanting to perhaps take the best of both worlds, you know, and, and implement it into their f feature sets at some point in the future or make it an option on a side chain or something like that. I don't know. It, some of the names involved in this, I'll admit, are weird. OK, but I think there's a there's a lot more to cover here. Let's uh, let's read on with the story. So and, you know, real quick, if you noticed, HackSec is actually like at the beginning of the show it used to be more towards the end. But I, I, I think this is exciting to, you know, to get HackSec right out of the gate uh, earlier on. But anyway, let's read on. Uh, even with those supporters, ZeroCoin is sure to face criticism and even legal trouble because, trouble because of the very privacy properties that make it unique. A cryptographically untraceable anonymous currency could offer massive potential for money laundering and black market sales, in my opinion. Awesome. Good. I'm glad. Reading on. <laughs> Just stallion breaking in there. The Silk Road's federal prosecutors, after all, proved how valuable a tougher to crack cryptocurrency would be to criminals when they traced $13.4 million worth of Bitcoin from the drug selling site to its creator, Ross Albrecht's laptop. Zerocoin's creators attempted to answer that concern in their online fact, pointing out that criminals can already make anonymous transactions with cash, which has been always the argument used for when people would make this similar claim against Bitcoin, or even with uh, Bitcoin if they're careful to use mixing services like Dark Wallet or Bitcoin Fog that are designed to anonymize transactions. Quote, the introduction of yet another method to anonymously move money is of little consequence, end quote, they write. But cash can't be spent online and mixing services only make tracing payments more difficult. They don't render it impossible as zero coins, zero knowledge profs are designed to do. Proofs are designed to do. Woohoo! Yes. More convincingly, the Zerocoin authors also argue the opposite point, that the alternative to their cryptocurrency is to rely on Bitcoin, whose blockchain can create real problems for any user seeking to keep his or her transactions private. Wow, that took a lot of guts to say. That took a lot of guts, but absolutely. Reading on. Again, I still love Bitcoin. Don't confuse me. Quote, would you want to publish your bank statement for everyone to see? Of course not. Your bank statement can reveal Intimate details about your life, end quote, they write. Quote, for example, your payments to a psychiatrist could reveal that you have a mental health issue, end quote. Zero Coins coming launch as a startup, by contrast, revives the cryptocurrency community's dream of truly anonymous money with all the promises and perils that come with it. Stay tuned. That is so exciting. <laughs> this is... This is almost, I mean, this is just about like the best news I could possibly hear. Yes, make this shit happen, baby. Get the money going for it. You know, whatever. Make it happen. And when they start now, they, they're very, very scant 
on the details as far as, okay, how are we going, you know, how are we going to fund this? What's going to be the release for all of these things? You know, whatever they are, we'll keep an eye on those and I will be talking about them. If they, I, you know, it's, it's so funny. I remember back, you know, a few years ago with Bitcoin or when there was like the, the altcoin, uh, uh, rush, you could say. Uh, that a lot of people that were into Bitcoin were very critical of a couple things. They were critical of pre-sales and uh, they were critical of pre-mines. Okay. Now we don't with zero cash or zero coin, whatever it ends up being named. Um, we have no, I, I say go with zero cash, but, <laughs> uh, but we, we don't know how, you know, what exactly is it going to use proof of work? Is it proof of stake? You know, what, what's, what's its proof. Okay. But people used to, like they would insult the shit out of something that had a pre-sale or that was pre-mined. Now nobody seems to give a shit. <laughs> like they just don't care anymore. No, no one argues against that stuff. No one is is complaining about Ethereum for, uh, you know, for effectively doing both. Uh, nobody complains about that stuff at all. So, and you know, granted, I'm not saying you need to complain about it. Okay, I really, I'm not. I think there's arguments, you know, that kind of that kind of go against it, but. Regardless, however, it all kind of comes into fruition. I think the technology is so exciting. Uh, this is good news that we so rarely seem to get to talk about on Sovereign Tech. Um, but I really, with episode 150, I wanted to make sure it got out there. Uh, this is, you know, and again, the names kind of behind it. I'm curious to what degree of their involvement are there. Uh, Roger Ver's behind it, which is very exciting to me. Uh, he's one of the, you know, the real heroes in this whole space. Um, and, and this is something that, you know, it needs to exist right now. You know, it cannot come fast enough. And I know some people are going to be like, well, it, it's going to have a smaller blockchain. It won't be secured and all that. No, believe me, the instant people know that there is an untraceable, you know, zero knowledge proof when, when there's an untraceable currency out there, the money's going to hit it fast. System D is going to come swooping right in and say, Hey, I got 10 trillion or however much to put on your blockchain, baby, let me add it. And as we mentioned before, caveat emptor, are, are there going to be some bad actors that are going to use zero cash? Of course. But so what? There's so many people, the bulk of people are not bad actors and they need this. And I'm really, I'm, I'm amazed that the zero coin team or, you know, that, that, that company, uh, you know, Wilcox O'Hearn or whatever, you know, really had the guts to say, look, don't you realize that Bitcoin, and I'm sure he would have applied it to just about anybody else that isn't doing zero knowledge proof. Don't you realize that this is putting your entire life out there for the whole world to fucking see? Cause it's true. And I'm not saying that it's a bad thing. Okay. And yes, you can do it with Bitcoin. You know, you could build in the anonymity and things like that. You could kind of, you could do it at, at client side. You could do it at the wallet or whatever the case may be. And I think, you know, that that's, that's great. Those developments need to happen. Uh, you know, bring it on. Okay. But you, we can do better. We can go further. I love that comparison of zero coin is the HTTPS to Bitcoin's HTTP. That that's a great way of putting it. And in fact, like I like I like that that analogy best. That's the best one I've ever heard for Bitcoin too, because Bitcoin is not the internet. BitTorrent was the internet. Okay, that was the proof that peer to peer works. I've always been very annoyed by that because everybody's like, "Oh, Bitcoin is the most the important technological development since the internet." And the fuck it is. No, it's not. BitTorrent is the most exciting development since the internet. It's the most important development since the internet. So now we can say that Bitcoin or, you know, that, that, that BitTorrent 
is perhaps the the TCP IP to you know, to Bitcoin's HTTP and then zero coin or zero cash is the HTTPS. And that's what we need so badly. Awesome. Whenever this, I, I will believe me, I will be shouting it from the mountaintops when zero coin is available. I am so jazzed up for this. I want it, baby. Give it to me. I want my anonymous everything. Encrypt all the things. Anonymize all the things. I'll be back with more Sovereign Tech. Time now for 90 Seconds on Sex with Dr. Paul. Over the years, I've collected close to 10,000 sex surveys. What's been surprising is how few women report having orgasms during intercourse from thrusting alone. Most need either their own fingers or a partner's fingers stimulating their clitoris while he's thrusting, or they need to grind their clitoris into a partner's pubic bone in order to have an orgasm during intercourse. But this doesn't mean that you should automatically try to give your partner's clitoris an extra workout. What it does mean is that you and your partner may be way ahead if you asked her about this. Find out what she prefers. Maybe she's wanted to stimulate her clitoris during intercourse, but she's worried about what you'd think. Or maybe she'd like to experiment with positions where she can more easily grind her clitoris into your pubic bone. You might ask how deeply and how fast she likes you to thrust. The ridge around the head of your penis might feel extra good on a certain part of her vagina. Or it could be she doesn't want you to change a thing. My point is, good sex rarely happens magically like it does in porn. Partners need to talk to each other and experiment with what feels good and works best. Also, please keep in mind that there are plenty of women who simply don't have orgasms during intercourse but who still enjoy having intercourse tremendously with a partner who they're really into. Thank you for listening. For more, visit 90secondsonsex.com. I'm in. That was almost too easy. Easy? More like you're very talented. (laughs) Thank you, Agent Southern. I hear you're very talented yourself. Oh, Pixel. Flattery will get you everywhere with me. What do we have? Blockchain transactions, smart contracts, the usual nonsense for my... Wait a minute, what's this? That looks like... Important messages. It is time for important messages, where I cover the emails, the bit messages, whatever else that comes my way. You know, speaking of bit messages, uh, and and by the way, you can ask me anything you want. It doesn't even have to be science and tech related. But speaking of bit messages... A great guy. He, I think he's the guy that set up, or yes, it is the guy that set up MetaMarket. Mark Wood. I love this guy. He is working on integrating BitMessage. First off, he's working on developing BitMessage more, which there hasn't been an update to BitMessage in uh, over a year now, I think, if not longer. And he's building it into I2P, the the anonymity network, kind of, you know, a, a sister project to Tor. Fuck yes. <laughs> As I get more information on this, I will definitely be highlighting it on Sovereign Tech. Um, but that is so cool. Uh, and that's the beauty of open source is that anybody can take on the code and say, OK, I'm going to make this better. And Mark Wood, I think, is definitely, you know, making that happen. Uh, just a just a great guy. Talk about a guy. I mean, and a principled guy, a guy that's got it together upstairs. OK, so really, really exciting uh, that this is going to be that this is going to be happening. Um, I will be talking about it more uh, in future episodes of, of Sovereign Tech. So it's re- it's exciting. All these these technologies are getting built better on top of each other. We just talked about uh, zero cash and how, you know, this is the HTTPS to Bitcoin's HTTP. And now we've got BitMessage getting built into I2P. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, these are great developments. Uh, so anyway. 
Let's get into uh, some of this week's uh, questions here. Uh, someone had asked me about, actually, someone sent me a tweet. Uh, I had talked about the Battelle drone defender, not Mattel, is in the toy company, but Battelle. And someone said that, hey, their, uh, their website about the drone defender is down. And uh, now you can still go to, Battelle is the company that made this drone defender. And what it is, it's this like microwave gun. Okay. Uh, it just shoots microwaves. It's non lethal that disrupts. Uh, drones, which I thought was, you know, that was kind of a technology that I was calling for as well. I was excited that that it was getting developed and that it existed and that it was possible. Um, and Battelle, Battelle.org, they're the ones that created the Drone Defender. And suddenly, like, all mentions of the Drone Defender disappeared from their site. And, like, you get 404s when you go to older links to the Drone Defender on their site. And the person says, like, hey, uh, you know, you think... Um, you know, maybe some some government got involved uh, and, you know, and, 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 you know, wanted to take it down or whatever the case may be. I'm not sure what's going on there. You can still go to Battelle. Battelle makes other things. They make like bulletproof cars. They make all kinds of stuff. Um, you can still go to their homepage at Battelle.org. But, yeah, I'll give it to you. It's a little strange that that suddenly, you know, the mentions to the drone defender disappeared. Um, I don't I don't know what's happening there. But anyway, uh, let's let's get on to another question. I uh, got a question about, oh, let's see. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> so, so you're hearing the new intros in episode 150 uh, and, and I, I love it. They're great. And the person that, that worked with me on them was, was phenomenal. It is not the lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy, but don't worry. Her voice is still in certain parts of, of the show and she will return. You, <laughs> she's just so amazing. Uh, but Anyway, if we can add more people on, you know, to doing this whole thing, uh, you know, let, let's do this. Uh, but anyway, I had said, I think it was in last week's episode and so, in, during the, the Soviet tech episode, uh, at the end of it, I said that, you know, yeah, I, I kind of got to like, I got to tone things down a little bit for a while because I keep building up like, you know, with these, with these little mini stories. For those that don't know, if this is the first time you've ever heard Sovereign Tech, I do like mini stories in between the breaks or, you know, at, at, at the beginning of the at the end of each break, I do like a mini spy story just to have something fun to do. And, uh, you know, just to give it a little bit of an extra edge, you know, give the podcast something, something cool, kind of like how the spy versus spy, uh, uh, you know, comics would exist within the entire mad magazine. And to get the whole story, you'd have to flip through the entire pages of mad magazine. And so I'm just doing that in a podcast form that that's, that's my idea. And, uh, unfortunately I've, I have just, just, beautiful, amazing people to work with on doing these things. <laughs> so anyway, um, someone said that, well, you know, if you already did the big, cause I do a sex scene usually in them, you know, cause what's a spy story without a sex scene. Right. And, uh, and someone said, you know, maybe you could do like robot sex for the intros, be the future. Cause that was something that, that I had my character in the Soviet tech episodes, you know, saying to commander Brian Soviet, be the future and, uh, yeah, robot sex. Well, yeah, maybe, that might already be happening, but anyway, <laughs> was, anyway, we'll see. It was an interesting, I just thought it was a funny comment. Obviously the person was being funny. Um, so anyway, yeah, uh, th th that's, that's something that's coming, you know, and I want to lay out real quick here too, you know, if you are a new listener with important messages, I really like, I can't personally respond, uh, to every message, um, that, that gets sent. And I don't always get to every one of them during important messages. Uh, but I do my absolute best and I do keep your name private. Uh, I don't, unless you really want me to mention who you are. Uh, let's see. We have another question. Uh, this has to do with, okay. So someone had asked me about, uh, you know, they want to get their daughter, uh, a new computer. She's going into video production. Um, 
And the concern was, was that, you know, the person's really familiar with Windows. And so they, they weren't so hot on getting a Mac. Uh, and yeah, I absolutely, I totally understand that. Um, for video production or for anything. So you run into a couple issues here, you know, with, with getting a computer. If it has to be a laptop, uh, the answer is, in my opinion, the Dell 15 uh X, the, the Dell XPS 15. And in fact, you can get a QHD model of that, that gives you that, that is, uh, or not QHD, but you get a, you can get a 4k monitor version of that. Okay. And that'll get as close as you can, you know, with video production, if you want to do video production in 4k, which is kind of the new hotness, um, it's about the best thing you've got. And, and the Dell X, the new, it's gotta be the new Dell, uh, Dell XPS 15 with the infinity view. Okay, you want to make sure it's the newest one. And that has an NVIDIA graphics card, which you're going to need if you want to do video production. I mean, usually, you know, when anybody asks me, okay, what computer should I get? You know, the, the quick questions come down. Okay, are you using Adobe products or do you game? If you don't do either of those, you could buy almost anything and you'll be fine. You know, unless you're doing, you know, some serious gaming or if you're using like Adobe After Effects, any kind of video production or Photoshop or something like that, uh, then you need something more serious. You need something with a dedicated video card. And so that's why I recommend the Dell XPS 15. Uh, if you're doing video production, particularly, you can go with the, the 4K model with the 4K resolution model. And that does run Windows 10. Uh, no jokes about that. It, it, you know, it's it, use, it has the best software for video editing. It, just let's just face it, folks. Um, the only caveat that I'll mention with that with the, with the XPS 15 or, you know, with 4k video editing in general is that a 4k monitor isn't, you can't actually really edit 4k on a 4k monitor. You can only do that on a 5k monitor because you need to see your user interface for the software that you're using. And then you'd need the rest of the 4k. So you need 1k for that. And then you need the rest of the 4k for the screen, uh, you know, to show raw 4k video. This is why, and a lot of people wondered, it's like, why did Apple with their IMAX, okay, their, their new IMAX are beautiful. So this isn't a laptop, um, but it's probably the best video editing machine out there. You know, the, you get the, you get the, you know, the, the new IMAX. Why are they 5K? It's like, they're gorgeous, but why are they 5K? That's why. It's so that it had the extra 1K so that you could, you know, edit 4K raw and still have all your user interface tools. Uh, you know, to easily access while you're editing the video. That's the reason they went to 5K and and that they skipped 4K entirely. Uh, and that's that's a good that's a good idea. I never even thought about it, but it, it's absolutely true. Uh, so keep that in mind. If you can get away with a you know a very portable desktop, uh, I would recommend going with a 5K iMac. And I, I know I know the the emailer said that he wasn't uh, wasn't comfortable you know with Mac, but you know honestly you could with with boot camp on on uh, on mac on apple devices you know on, on apple computers you can put windows 10 on there anyway uh and the imacs aren't that expensive but otherwise you know if you want to stick with windows or whatever or even if you want a great linux machine um i totally reckon the dell xps 15 is the best computer on the market right now as far as laptops go uh, the newest, the 2015 model with infinity view. It, it is the best. I, you know, if it wasn't video editing, I'd stay go, I'd say go with the 1080p version because it doesn't have the touch screen, but the 4k version's fine. It just, it has a touch screen and the battery life is a little less, but only a little less. Uh, so I would recommend going with that. Um, got another question about Gamergate. Okay. Here's a great one to, <laughs> uh, I talked about Gamergate. Someone asked if I had any thoughts about Gamergate. They said they really love the show. I talked about Gamergate a good while back when it first happened. Recently, it started to crop up again. And this was due to, uh, I guess, South by Southwest 
in Austin canceled some some talks of some kind about Gamergate. And so everybody went into a big uproar. Now, I what I want to say to you is, I, and this is what I had said months ago was, I don't know, how long ago was the first Gamergate? Maybe a year ago? I don't know. But when it first happened, you know, I waited a couple months for it to kind of settle down. Maybe it was just a few months ago, I guess. Uh, and, and then I did, you know, a commentary on it. And what I said was that, no, this is, this is, this isn't real. I don't believe, I really don't believe that there, and, and Gamergate is like a blanket term now. Okay. So it means so many things, but the, the blanket is that, uh, people don't want women in gaming. Um, I don't believe that for a second as a, as a hardcore gamer myself. In fact, the first thing I consider myself, the first thing I identify myself as is a gamer. Uh, I absolutely want women gaming with me. When I was a teenager, I would want women to play games, you know, to play video games with me. Uh, I think this is dumb that, that, and it's ridiculous to consider that, oh, there's teenage boys that want to kill females. They want to play games or that they just want to call them sluts and all this stuff. Yeah, I know people say crazy shit on Xbox live or what, you know, whatever the case may be. Okay, Sure. But believe me, it's no holds barred. They're not just saying it to women. They're saying it to guys, too. <laughs> OK, I mean, it's just it's across the board, you know, just just just, you know, toilet shit, whatever you want to call it. OK, um, so I, I don't you know, and then how Gamergate all started was supposedly because some female uh, uh, game designer slept with a journalist to get her game promoted. OK, uh, you know. <laughs> are people a little mad about that? Yeah, I can understand why they're a little mad about that, but I don't believe like suddenly Brianna Wu is getting death threats and all this stuff. And I don't want to belittle death threats. Okay. But we go back to what I was saying about Starbucks red cup. Okay. In that a lot of this stuff is completely manufactured. I mean, I'm sure that Kotaku and all these and whatever, you know, Jezebel and whatever other, you know, news uh, resource, I'm sure they just lapped onto this. They said, oh, oh, this is great. We can make a story out of this for months. We're going to get so many clicks. We're going to have so many ad sales because of Gamergate and all this stuff. I, I don't I don't think it's real. Now, that doesn't mean that technology that, you know, that the tech world doesn't have a woman, you know, a problem with how it treats women. And I mean, yes, women aren't, you know, aren't getting the same pay. Yes. A lot of women are getting treated like shit the, the, you know, all of that's so true. OK, and, and believe me, I've I've self-identified as a feminist many times. Don't confuse me. I'm just saying that this whole Gamergate thing, I think, is manufactured outrage. It's cheap heat. There may be bits of truth in there, you know, here and there. But to say that somehow there's an entire culture that hates women in gaming is ridiculous on its face. I, I It's it's crazy. <laughs> no, nobody feels that I, like, or yeah. Okay. Maybe there's some people, but by and large, I guarantee who wouldn't want a woman to play Mario with. Come on. <laughs> really consider that. <sighs> so yeah, I, I don't, uh, I, I, I just, I don't buy it. I, I think a lot of it is completely manufactured. And like I said earlier with Starbucks red cup, it's so easy to make false, tw you know, faux Twitter accounts. Okay. That, that you can just, you know, one person, it doesn't, one person could create a million Twitter accounts, right? You know, I'm exaggerating, but could make a million Twitter accounts and make it seem like that, that, that there is an entire community. That's part of the problem with social media is that you get very skewed perceptions of reality with that. There's no reality to be had in social media whatsoever. Okay. And so I don't think that a lot of these attitudes and platitudes that people are saying are behind Gamergate. I don't think they're real. 
I think it's a, a couple of dumbasses or news organizations just manufacturing outrage. That's all that is. So uh, anyway, yeah. All right. That, that's enough. I had other questions uh, uh, to get to. I'll save them for next week. Uh, but anyway, you're listening to Sovereign Tech. <laughs> if, you, if, if you have any questions about what I just said, feel free to email me. I'll be back with more. From Big Finish Productions, Blake 7, the classic audio adventures. I'm taking Liberator in on manual. We'll be in teleport range in two minutes. What the hell was that? Information. Liberator has been attacked. You don't say. Put up the force wall. Confirm. Message to all ground commanders. Initiate the final phase. Let's crush these rebels once and for all. My name is Avon. Kerr Avon. Kerr Avon. Our hostage arrives. But you may be unnecessary. As a hostage, it's nice to be superfluous. You can go to Blake7.com to find more of the new adventures of one of science fiction's greatest masterpieces. Blake7 at Blake7.com Did you get all the data? I got all of it. It's finished once we get this uploaded. That's if we can get away from those blockchain drones in time. Don't worry, I've got it covered. Over here. I love a woman with a motorcycle. Get on. A bike is always my first choice. First choice. It is time for first choice. And now this is kind of a renamed segment. Uh, and there's no more tool of the week, no more website of the week or anything like that. Uh, first choice is actually the new tech roulette. Uh, and so, cause what I do is, is you can send me a story and I'll kind of eeny, meeny, my, eeny, meeny, mo the stories and I'll just, you know, choose one and I'll run with it. So you get to take control of the show. The latter part of the show, you get to take control of with important messages. You can ask me anything you want. And then, you know, with, uh, with first choice, you can send me a story and, uh, I will talk about the story. Obviously I cannot get to all of them. I mean, that, that's just, I'd have to do sovereign tech on a daily basis, which I know a lot of people would really love for me to do, but, uh, that's really not possible right now. <laughs> so maybe, maybe in the future. Um, but anyway, uh, this, this story I got, I, <laughs> I love it. Okay, first off, I love the fact that I have a very large female audience. I really, I, I am so honored uh, by that because, as I've said many times, I know a lot, particularly in anarchist circles, um, a lot of shows don't have that. <laughs> so, and I'm not boasting. I'm just saying I'm really proud and and happy that you you care to listen. Uh, and anyway, so I got this story in, <laughs> and this is. Uh, <laughs> This is this is uh, this is more good news. Um, and it's from uh, the Daily Digest. It's from October 29th, 2015. So this is pretty recent stuff. Uh, maybe the Daily Digest is a somewhat questionable news source, but maybe it isn't because it's linking to some uh, to some fair some fair articles here. <laughs> anyway, uh, new research claims that going down on women is good for your health. Woo. <laughs> All right. Let's uh, let's read on. Research carried out by the State University of New York recently suggested that BJ's blowjobs can have a whole host of health benefits. The news had men everywhere celebrating, but it seems that women also have cause for joy now as some parallel research 
conducted suggests that uh, cunnilingus has plenty of its own advantages for both men and women. The research monitored more than 150 straight and lesbian couples, 75 of which were told to concentrate heavily on oral in their sex lives, 75 of which were told to not to. The results show a notable difference in stress and anxiety levels, as well as sleep quality and intimacy levels in and out of the bedroom. The health benefits can be very real, though. Going down encourages her to produce hormones like oxytocin and DHEA, which uh, have been proven to have protective effects against diseases such as cancer and heart disease. The research also points to the sedative effect of the release of oxytocin and other endorphins, meaning it's the perfect way to encourage sleep for those that suffer from insomnia or restless nights. The study additionally claims that these hormones can even relieve migraine headaches. All these benefits are there for the person performing the act too. So it's good for both of you. Of course, there are other benefits as well. For many women, orgasms are not achievable through penetration and sustained clitoral stimulation is required. And there's no easier way to achieve that than orally. Premature ejaculation is the most common nocturnal dysfunction for men, and up to 25% of guys will suffer from it at some point. Sexperts and psychologists recommend going down on the woman is the ideal way to lengthen the sexual experience and effectively buy time. So there you have it. It's safe, it's good for you, and it's fun. So why not share this post and then head straight to the bedroom, you know, for your health. And well, Golden Stallion here, I got to tell you. <laughs> Uh, I needed to really do extensive research uh, because, I mean, you, you just you can't take these claims at face value, can you? You know, I mean, the idea that somehow it re relieves headaches or, uh, you know, the, the delivering of oxytocin helps you fall asleep at night, you know, for uh, for, the, you know, the lovely lady or whatever the case may be. I mean, I really had to you know, I wanted to know. I was like, OK, now, this this reads almost unbelievable that somehow oral sex, you know, uh, on a woman is this incredibly, you know, this is amazing, uh, but, you know, has all these wonderful health benefits. I don't believe it, Daily Digest. I'm sorry. I need to find out for myself. And so, in the interest of science, the Golden Stallion, of course, engaged in it over and over again. And I did as much research as I could. Very, you know, on the field, in-depth research. Uh, very in-depth at times. And, yeah, I have to say it's true. <laughs> even for the headaches it's like oh you have a headache oh please let me help <laughs> and and you know frankly i felt better after the fact i i have to say i mean i just i felt amazing now of course <laughs> i've been quite a bit of, uh, of fun with this uh, but how great is it finally that people are just coming out and saying you know what hey this these things happen like you would have never gotten that report 20 years ago. <laughs> so Just just never. And not to say that these things weren't being done in the halls of science. Certainly the, they, they were. And, uh, you know, the the information on and giving blowjobs and all that, you know, is, is interesting, too. Uh, you know, just a quick a quick caveat, you know, in, in somewhat seriousness is that it mentioned that it's like, oh, yeah, straight and lesbian couples. There's no mention of, of bisexual couples or no mention of, uh, you know, perhaps what happens if there's if it's a threesome or a foursome or a fivesome or, you know, whatever. How do you know what are the are there are there added benefits to all that? There's further research to be done here, folks. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, in all seriousness, I just I love the fact that this kind of, you know, this this stuff can can get out there and can really, you know, get rid of the stigma 
around a, a lot of these, you know, a lot of these sexual acts. And, and it's so funny, you know, seriously, I have heard from women and I've heard other dudes firsthand say that they think, you know, eating pussy is, uh, is disgusting. <laughs> it's, what? <laughs> I mean, what, what, what exactly happened? Like, like, you know, so, so having like actual, you know, some degree of, of science and, and yes, I, you know, I get like, how far can this research go? Or are there issues with the research? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, 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 I get it. Okay. But, but these kind of, you know, this kind of data, this kind of information, you know, going out there and, and being done, I mean, there should be whole universities with entire sex departments that should be covering this stuff because sex has been so stigmatized most of human, you know, of, of, of Western civilizations, uh, you know, existence really, it has, I, I mean, or if it, if it wasn't stigmatized, well, it's still a stigma. If it's just getting like, uh, you know, brushed under the rug. Yeah. I, I mean, this is, this is great that this kind of stuff is, you know, is being done now in all seriousness. And I mean, I think, you know, I don't know about you, but like that, I mean, that, that is so much fun to do. Like, like, why are, why aren't you doing that anyway? <laughs> you know, I suppose that could be the response It's like, why do we need science to, you know, to say that this is a good idea? Well, it's because there's a, I, I mean, and, and of course the overall thing, a lot of what this actually produces are things that really, you know, physically, honestly, physical activity overall produces a lot of what they're talking about. It's really not just the fact that, you know, oral sex is being performed, uh, you know, that allows for this. It's not like that in particular makes all of this happen uh, to some degree. Yes. There, there's certain like oxytocin is kind of unique in what can produce that, uh, you, you know, breast play and things like that can allow for that as well. Uh, you know, all, all of these things. I mean, that, and that's, you know, that's wonderful, but, but keep in mind really a lot of this research, the end game that, that they're not exactly telling you and they're not telling it to you because it doesn't get as great a headline as you know typing out that oh you know going down on a woman is good for your health and her health which i mean of course it is uh, but a lot of what they're not telling you is just like the idea that you know look just getting more physical you know and doing fun things is good for your health that's that's really at, at the end of all this and it's true uh, but you know, to destigmatize it, I mean, that's, that's why I think it's important to do these kind of, you know, little puff piece articles of sorts, <laughs> you know, and it's, and it's okay. I find it completely acceptable, you know, to, to let that stuff out. I mean, that's why I like having, uh, you know, I talked about this during the Soviet tech episode. I love having, um, you know, sex scenes during a podcast, like, like, you know, having a, a pre-recorded like setup, you know, and as part of the story and all that, just to get rid of that stigma. It's like, no, you know what? You can hear moaning in your ears and it'll be just fine and dandy. Okay, <laughs> really? Uh, and just like you can have oral sex, and guess what? There are genuine health benefits. Yes, those health benefits can be had, and those same health benefits can be had in other ways. That's very true, and the article didn't go into that, and shame on them, not really. But, <laughs> but whatever. Do the research for yourself, as I always say. Go down on, I mean, it, it, just as much as you can. Make sure that the Daily Digest is being honest here. And that the University of New York is being honest, perhaps, as well. We need to check these things thoroughly. I'll be back with more. Got an energy spike. Launch. In the third age of mankind, an age plagued by an evil empire that seeks to destroy humanity, it is our last, best hope for peace. It is Babylon 5. Watch Babylon 5. Babylon 5 is available for download on your favorite torrent site. See it now to experience the greatest show in television history. Babylon 5. 
Pixel and Asian Sovereign. Welcome to Unimatrix Zero. Thanks, computer. So, Brian, looks like we have the whole place to ourselves. We do, actually. Did you have something in mind to do? Well, this is virtual reality. I thought maybe we could. Pixel, you look... I love VR. Come here, Brian. Folks, it's good for your health. Woo! <laughs> oh, love it. <laughs> yeah, so you're going to be getting that for, for another 25 episodes, and then episode 175, and oh, if I got something cooking already, I'm ready to go. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's, uh, of course, it's time for the climax, and this is where I can talk about whatever the hell I uh, I want to talk about. Uh, it could be a movie, TV show, it could be a topic. I mean, really, it could be anything. It's I have total control here. It doesn't even have to be science or tech related. But this week it happens to be a topic and it does happen to be uh, tech related. And uh, boy, if you haven't actually uh, at at the Zog blog at zog.ninja, uh, I did a review. People love my my television and, and movie reviews. Um, I did a review for the new James Bond movie Spectre, and uh, I I loved it. wasn't the best Bond movie by any stretch, but I really enjoyed that flick. Uh, that was good stuff. So anyway, uh, <laughs> you can see where some of my childhood inspiration comes from. Um, <laughs> Uh, but this week, what I want to talk about, and I did, like I mentioned earlier, I released my uh, Life 4.0 talk. Actually, Stephen Michaels uh, graciously did video for the entire Bitcoin Investor Conference event, and he's made the video available very quickly at that on YouTube. Like, I think almost every talk is now up on YouTube from the Bitcoin Investor Conference, and mine is as well. Uh, and mine was about virtual reality. It was about, you know, what, what are the potentials? I mean, it was a very broad swath of a talk. Um, it talked about it, you know, what, what happens, you know, how can we implement cryptocurrencies with virtual reality? And yeah, there's, there's some, uh, not Veltoro, I don't know, whatever it is. There's no, not Veltoro. That, that, that's a fucking, that's like a gold company. Uh, I don't know. There, there's some cryptocurrency out there that's supposed to be the cryptocurrency of virtual reality. Uh, I, I'm not necessarily into that idea. I like the idea of having something that works everywhere you go, you know, works in VR and it works outside of VR, uh, you know, in various ways, let's have zero coin or zero cash all over the place. Right. So anyway, um, the talk, you know, I gave was was pretty broad. But the one I want to concentrate on right now is I've been messing with version two of Google Cardboard quite a bit. And in fact, I was asked to uh, to call in. I was asked to call in. I didn't just call in. I was asked to call in uh, to Free Talk Live to talk about Google Cardboard, because, of course, New York Times did a big release of um, of Google Cardboard, which is just this little cardboard. I'm sure listeners of the show know what it is, but it's this, you know, cardboard that you fold up and everything. They even sell a Viewmaster model of this. It's plastic. And you could slide your phone in and you open up the app and suddenly you have virtual reality just with your phone and a, you know, cheap piece of cardboard effectively. And it's a really cool idea because, as I said in my Life 4.0 talk, it removes the barriers to entry. One of the reasons that that BitTorrent uh, and Bitcoin and all these different things that have really changed the world, um, the way that the reason that they could change the world so quickly and so easily is because there was no barrier to entry. You already had the infrastructure. You already had the hardware to use it. And VR is very much the same way. And this is very exciting to me. Um, and in fact, uh, I saw what the New York Times, like their apps and everything, 
you know, I don't care for the New York Times journalism nine times out of ten, but they actually pulled off VR journalism, I thought. Like, like it was really engrossing what they did. They did a great job uh, with it. And so I don't know if it's going to take off, but it's definitely one of the more interesting ways to take in the news. Now, of course, you know, the New York Times, you could call that a gatekeeper of knowledge. And so, you know, maybe the VR experience they give you won't reflect uh, actual reality, which is what they're trying to report on. Uh, fine. I, I can understand that argument. OK, but the point is, is that it can work. Regardless of who's doing it, it can work. It is possible. You know, virtual reality has amazing potential. Um, and I, as I said in my Life 4.0 talk, I'm not so excited about augmented reality as I am uh, uh, virtual reality. So anyway, uh, please do watch that talk. Uh, it was really something. But I've been messing with version 2 of Google Cardboard quite a bit. I actually I got a, uh, I got a, a cardboard headset I picked up on Amazon. It's, of course, all black <laughs> uh, from a company called Eight Ones. Uh, and it's eight ones.com is an 81, which I don't know why they chose 81, but I was born in 81. So I don't know. It's kind of cool. <laughs> but anyway, um, with, with that, you know, and then I used, I, I did like this tour of the solar system. There's a few different apps. Uh, of course, the thing for me that I've really always wanted with virtual reality was the ability to watch movies on a gigantic screen without actually needing a, a giant screen. This is one of the huge advantages to virtual reality. And maybe, maybe AR could do this too. Um, and I've talked about this on sovereign tech in the past when Oculus announced originally, this is one of the first three things that they planned on implementing with it, uh, was the idea that you could be sitting in a virtual theater, a, a virtual cinema. Okay. Not just in your house, even though Hulu and Netflix are now building virtual living rooms for you to watch, uh, uh, you know, content from their, you know, from their services, uh, in virtual reality. So I'm not the, you know, I'm not the only one with this idea and certainly lots of people are, are working towards implementing it. But in this case, you know, there's apps out there, there's go show and some others that, that allow you to be an entire ver in an entire virtual theater and you get to watch a gigantic, you know, like 120 inch screen, you know, whatever size screen that, that cinemas usually have. And then you can put in any movie you want, you know, if you want to pretend that you're going to watch The Empire Strikes Back in 1980, you could pretend, you know, you could have the settings for a 1980 replica, you know, cinema, and then you could be watching it on this giant screen. Now, this isn't this in and of itself isn't required for from, you know, you don't have to have virtual reality to do this. Of course, uh, you need it for the whole cinema. But to, to the idea of this used to be done with iPods where you could put on this headset and you could, it would connect to the iPod. The iPod would feed the headset, um, the movie. And then you would it, like this headset would create an 80 inch screen for you to watch things on. And I thought when I used that quite a few years, I mean, we're talking like a decade ago that that came out. And I thought that was so cool. That was like revolutionary because then you don't have to have this gigantic TV in your house. Uh, and maybe next week there's, there's been some concerns over what, what TVs are doing, uh, with your smartphone by, you know, sending in audible sounds, you know, through various things. We, we've talked about it before, but there's been a recent story about it again. Um, so, you know, the, the less, in some ways, the less electronics you need to have, perhaps the better, maybe that's, that's kind of the point here, but whatever, the less stuff you have to have, you know, cluttering your house is also a great thing too. So I think VR could be really cool for that because you could, you know, you could have that eighties experience, uh, and then you could have this giant screen to watch things on without actually needing to buy a giant screen and you could just buy Google cardboard and it works. Uh, you know, that's, that's really exciting. So that's one of the things I really love about VR, but there's more. And this was one of the main thrusts of my uh, life 4.0 talk is that I think, and this is something I'll be, you know, I'm going to be reporting a lot uh, on sovereign tech for, for, 
you know, well, probably forever now. Uh, but from this point on, I will be talking, you know, I'll, I'm going to keep you abreast of what's happening with virtual reality. Uh, because I, I think this is an exciting technology. It will connect people in various parts of the world far better than social media and other things could ever dream of. Obviously, that's probably why, you know, why Mark Zuckerberg bought out Oculus, you know, the Oculus Rift, because he knew that Facebook uh, will be going the way of the dodo soon enough. But while I think that this is coming and there's lots of companies that are putting big money into this, into creating virtual meeting spaces and all this. And there are, there are already groups of people, anarchist groups at that, that are building like virtual lives for themselves. And they are doing virtual market interactions and all this different stuff. And it's really exciting They're I think they're out of Europe, but people are doing this. It's, it's, it's already happening in a, in a very real way. Virtual reality is happening in a real way. <laughs> no pun. Uh, but anyway, um, and w what I think needs to happen is much like, you know, Bitcoin showed how money could be done digitally, uh, but then Zerocoin needed to come out to have it done right, you know, to where there's anonymity. I think that that's, that's something I really want to see happen. This is a technology I really want pushed is encrypted, anonymous meeting spaces online. And I mean, full on, you know, it's not, you've got to have like Skype is not good enough. Okay. Google Hangouts is not good enough. It's not good enough to just be looking at a screen and talk with somebody and do whatever else. No, you need to like actually be able to walk around the person, you know, perhaps read some degree of digital body language, all of these things. And I think all of these things could be very easily done without you having to wear like a full suit, like out of lawnmower man two or something. Okay. There's, there's ways for a lot of this to happen without needing a ton of infrastructure. Uh, that could be done very inexpensively. Um, I, you know, I could think of a few things, a few technologies that Google started developing uh, as late that would really allow for all of this to work for you to have an interface without actually needing an interface and for you to get like tactile feedback. I mean, you know, how much how much feedback could you get just from like, say, uh, you know, a smartwatch an Android Wear, or something like that? I think you could get a lot of feedback that you would need with what you're doing in a virtual space. So all of this is really happening right now. And I think this is really key because. I don't expect to find, uh, you know, full on 100% liberty in my lifetime. Like, I don't think lib pair, as it's called, or libertarian paradise or liberty paradise is going to be, you know, created right away. In fact, it may never be. It may never come. to, And that's not new to Sovereign Tech listeners. I've been saying this for years. It may never come to pass. But maybe we can build virtual spaces that could be a virtual liberty paradise that we could go to you know, at, at various points or from anywhere in the world, or perhaps we could, you know, we could be with our lovers if we have to travel separately at various points, because, you know, the way, the way, you know, the democratization of things are going, uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, people are working from anywhere and everywhere, no matter what the job is. And sometimes people have to travel and they have to be somewhere physical at various points, you know, for whatever reason. And so people, you know, could interact with their loved ones in very, very loving ways, you know, in a virtual sense. Uh, I think that would be exciting. Uh, you know, there's, there's so many things. And I think th these communities could happen. And l like I talked about in my life 4.0 talk, I could see where with things like Google Cardboard, again, Google Cardboard is the proof. And I've used it. I mean, it works pretty well, particularly for how much you paid for it. And you paid nothing. Okay. It works really well. Um, I could see, you know, virtual 
like virtual property becoming a thing. So like that's the beauty of Bitcoin and hopefully zero coin here soon is that you can take your money anywhere with you and no one can take it from you, you know, because you could do a brain wallet or you could do things like that. Um, I think it'd be really exciting if, you know, you could carry your property with you and perhaps, you know, you could put it on Google Cardboard at various points and suddenly, you know, wherever you have to be staying, if you're at a hotel room or whatever, could turn into your own room. You know, in a real sense, uh, I think that that'd be that'd be very exciting and you could interact with it and, and you know, and do whatever while you're, uh, you know, while you're in there. AR could allow for that to some degree, too. And maybe maybe for digital property, AR may be the better of the bunch, possibly. Uh, but I think it'd be cool also to be able to like switch between AR and VR, you know, kind of instantaneously. And, you know, one of the questions, and I mentioned this in, in the, the post that I did when I shared my Life 4.0 talk, um, one of the real potentials here that, that people are missing, because some people are saying it's like, well, then, Brian, you know, like what you're describing, what's going to keep people from, you know, not just staying in virtual reality and never leaving? Well, one of the things that could that could be developed is therapeutic uh, programs within virtual reality as to where people could literally go to like, say, you know, in virtual reality to their childhood home and could, you know, work process the traumas that occurred to them as a child and things like that. And what, so what I mean by all that, you know, all kinds of traumas you could process through it is that you could get a greater foundation in reality by exploring the traumas of of your reality within virtual reality. And then I think people would, would put everything in perspective you know, they would recognize like perhaps the importance of productive achievement and the importance of love. And maybe, you know, maybe a lot of those things are better served outside of virtual reality. And those those would come, you know, those realizations would come to be. Uh, so I, I think that just the potential is huge for what virtual reality can do. But I look forward. I will I'm going to try and be on the bleeding edge of this of creating freedom oriented, liberty oriented virtual communities, you know, VR communities. And as the technology comes out, you know, I, I want to be absolutely on top of that. You know, I'm, I'm talking about creating like, you know, the IRC chat room version in virtual, you know, uh, or a virtual reality to where people can, you know, anonymously go in, whatever, be whatever, do whatever, you know, within these communities and there's no rules and everything's completely encrypted and you can, you can express yourself, you know, cause it's true. Julian Assange has, has a great quote. He said that when people know they're being watched, there is a subconscious change when they know they're being surveilled. More importantly, there is a subconscious change that happens in a person that slowly eats away at them. You know, I know there's people that push for it. it's like, well, what we need is covalence. We need we need a giant surveillance state to, t- you know, to combat uh, or, you know, we need a, a little brother to take on big brother. Right. That's kind of the Cory Doctorow thing. And I understand that. And I can I can somewhat respect that position. Um, but really, you know, the answer is, is not to develop like uh, uh, co-optive, you know, surveillance, but to develop things that just make surveillance, uh, you know, meaningless. That's the trick. And I think we could create virtual communities. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm big on intentional communities anyway. That's been a major thrust of Sovereign Tech is to help create virtual communities, you know, with technology and all that, uh, you know, to create intentional communities that people could get together and meet space, you know, and really be together. I mean, I think that's that's, you know, yes, that'll only probably get you to like 90, 95 percent of the way towards, you know, full on freedom. But it is a way to do that. It is a way to achieve that. And I have lots of listeners that actually already live in intentional communities. And, uh, you know, really, I, I appreciate their courage for doing so. 
okay, and for coming together like that. But virtual communities could also be a, a newer form or a, a different form of an intentional community. And who's to say that virtual reality, like, isn't just another aspect of reality? Why does it have to be something completely different? Yeah, you need to eat, but things could even work out within that. It, it's, a, it's, it's an interesting concept. Not that you can make virtual food, but you could do virtual deliveries <laughs> that would bring it to you. Uh, you know, this is a huge topic, and VR is going to be a big thrust on Sovereign Tech from now on, because I want to explore it. It's an exciting technology. Anyway, hope you enjoy the new intros. Hope you enjoy the, the new setup of the show. Please feel free to donate. Carpe you just Lucan. experienced Sovereign Tech. Go to SovereignTech.com. That's S-O-V-R-Y-N Tech.com. And connect with us there. Find links from today's show and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is copy heart. Copying art is an act of love. And love is not subject to law. So please, share the show however you like. Welcome to the Evolution. Evolution.